Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, this is Tanisha, host of Wine School Dropout. I am so excited to be back. Thanks to your donations, we're bringing you a season two that goes beyond Wine 101 and takes you behind the scenes with wine folks around the world. So many things have happened in the world since last season, so this time around, we wanted to go a little further, highlighting the voices and work of people that share something in common with me, people of color, working in the wine business. Whether they are crafting a wine in a country not their own or building a wine brand around their own culture, everyone featured in this season has a unique perspective on our Wine School Dropout mantra. Wine is for all. I'm so excited to share these fascinating wine stories all from people of color. Welcome to this season of Wine School Dropout, Wine Around the World Edition. When you think of rosé, you probably think of a bright sun in the sky, a sandy beach, or maybe sitting on a terrace with the girls. But what about drinking rosé in February, paired with an amazing dinner? Well, owner of La Fête de Rosé, Donna Burston, thought just that. Let's remove the stigma of only drinking rosé in the summer and it's just a drink for ladies. In this episode, Donay tells us how he thought of the idea to develop not just a rosé, but a lifestyle and why you should drink it all year long. First, I want to start with asking you just to tell us who you are and what do you do? My name is Donay Burston. I am the founder and CEO of the Fetter Rosé. Perfect. And so La Fête de Rosé is a rosé brand out of Provence, France, correct? That's correct. And so initially, I want to ask you, what made you, of all the things to create when you thought about wine, why rosé? Or actually, why wine in general? And then you could go specifically into why rosé. Well, it all really kind of happened by chance. I wasn't intending to launch my own beverage, but I fell in love for the first time when I was turning 30 and I went to San Tropez for my birthday. Went to Nikki Beach. Everyone knows the infamous Nikki Beach in San Tropez. Nice. Everyone was drinking, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Everyone was drinking what I thought was Zippendale, what ice cubes in a glass, and turns out it was rosé. Mm -hmm. So for that moment on, rosé became like this significant drink in my life. It's almost like the first time you heard a Jay-Z song, you can tell yourself where you were, what was going on, et cetera. Mm -hmm. The same thing with rosé. So I fell in love with rosé in that moment. And then I was traveling back and forth to France, working for different brands, Moet Hennessy, 
Champagne, Armand de Brignac, et cetera. And I would always go down to the south of France and just fell in love with it. Fell in love with everything it represented. And it became my go-to drink. You weren't new to the beverage industry. You weren't new to the liquor industry. Not at all. I had worked for Moya Hennessy USA for about 10 years, working across the entire portfolio, Hennessy Cognac, Belvedere Bacta, Buffico, Moitis Rendon, and Dom Perignon. And then three years at Champagne Armand de Brignac, aka Ace of Spades, mm-hmm. running Latin America, the Caribbean, and the Southeast United States. So you already had a little bit of um, a relationship with France, can we say? Oh, yeah. It's my favorite place in the world. I love Paris. It was my number one city. Well, I mean, I, of course, would agree. But <laughs> I may be biased. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, Saint-Tropez and you love the South and you drank rosé there. How did it mm-hmm. come to be of you moving into doing your own brand? Because that's a bit of a leap, working for brands, liking rosé, then just saying, hey, I'm going to make a rosé. You know, throughout my career, uh, working on these different brands, I was afforded the ability to work on brands that weren't typically seen as African-American brands, that being Moet, Domperignon, Clicquot. I always noticed in these meetings, there was this demographic uh, segmentation that was taking place, and I never really understood it. Fast forward three, four years later, when I was in the south of France at the Cannes Film Festival, met the owner of the winery, and I said, you know, Rosé has a problem. In the United States, is marketed as this girly drink, summertime only, pink flowers, white flowy dresses, and really towards white women. But when you're in France, as you know, living there, everyone drinks rosé. It's a universal beverage. But somehow that got lost in translation when the category took off in the United States. So I knew automatically, based upon my experience in corporate America and working for those brands and my affinity for rosé, that I wanted to create a rosé wine brand that really was inclusive. It was just drank by all people. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I definitely want to hit on uh, that topic of rosé being seen as one super sweet, um, a yes. sweet drink, then also being seen um, it's pink, it's girly, it's very feminine. What were like some things that you came up against or maybe some criticisms as far as you being a man and thinking about wanting to produce a rosé brand? Well, the first thing I heard a lot was rosé was a saturated category, which to me was hilarious, considering that it still was at the time when I was doing the ideation behind this, it still was only 6% of U.S. table wine sales. So when you think about that, Chardonnay being 40%, how is a segment that's only 6% oversaturated? So that was the first thing. Then the second thing was, um, it is a female drink. What am I doing? It's only for summertime. It's very seasonal. So I dealt with the seasonality play. And then, of course, once the brand actually launched and I would walk in, the assumption was automatically, because I was Black, that it was a sweet rosé and was associated with hip-hop. Interesting. And how did you change that dynamic? Or are you still changing it? Um, I, I think I dealt with it a lot more last year when we first launched the brand. I mean, lucky for me, I had the background um, and the credibility of working with these other brands. So I already knew what my counter would be to a lot of those arguments. I really did lean on my relationships when I first uh, launched to go to the places I knew I could get a yes from automatically, whether that be a W South Beach or One Hotels, where I had strong relationships in my previous uh, career to be able to get the brand placed so I can help to start to change uh, that narrative. Um, But it's it's still a fight. It's a fight every day. I mean, mean, right now it's wintertime. And we're fighting, you know, seasonality. So every day I'm talking about how you can pair rosé with food and 
it's okay to drink rosé in the wintertime and Thanksgiving and all that good stuff because there is this industry tendency that as soon as we hit October, rosé goes away. Let's talk about only red wines or champagne. Yeah. And I'm trying to change that conversation to keep a rosé a part of that repertoire for everyone year round. Especially since rosé is made from red grapes. Red wines, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, oh, I just drink reds. I'm like, um, rosé yeah. comes from red grapes. You know, and it's funny, even sometimes I go to restaurants and they'll have rosé under interesting whites. And I'm like, well, that's not the case. And more importantly, why don't you just break rosés out as its own section? If you have a section of Pinot Grigio and reds and whites, why is rosé lumped into some other separate category versus just having its own designation on menu? So it's a whole lot of things I'm trying to fight and change uh, in the United States and particularly in places that don't have a lot of experience with rosé. What I have admired about what you've done is one, built this whole entire brand. (laughs) Two, the images, like how we've just talked about, um, it is not just for women, it's not just for summer. The images you have of it make it more lifestyle. And um, it's like a rosé you drink for your life, not necessarily just, oh, just drink it at the beach, just drink it in the South. Um, what was your thinking behind that when you were doing your marketing campaigns and coming up with the idea of the lifestyle aspect of it? Uh, I was really drawn off my own life at the time. Um, prior to having a kid, I was an avid traveler, uh, went everywhere, did everything. Anything that was on a luxury travel list, my friends and I, we would try to go visit it. Um, so I was really much a part of that lifestyle, especially coming from LVMH and Champagne Alma de Brignac. When you're immersed in luxury, for so much of your life, 15, 16 years, it becomes part of the DNA. So I knew I wanted that for rosé. And more importantly, I didn't want rosé, again, to be seen as this trivial wine. I wanted it to be taken serious. I wanted it to be a part of people's everyday repertoire. So I knew that this was more of a psychographic play, meaning about like, what does the consumer like? What are they into? Fashion, travel, hotels, exotic vacations, et cetera, versus it making it a demographic play. So being a part of that whole zeitgeist of luxury and travel and, you know, fine dining was very important to make sure the brand stood out from the rest of the competitors. And it does. I'll just tell you that. It, it Thank you. does. The marketing does and everything. And even uh, the label and the bottle. What was your thinking behind that? And also, how did you come up with that? Do you have a team? Did you do focus groups when you were thinking of labels, bottles? Tell me a little about that process. Yeah, I mean, well, I knew automatically. I, I mean, I did a small, I, I like to call a mock-up test run of product um, just to see first if I liked working with the winery, did we like the juice that they were producing based upon the guidelines we gave them. And it was a traditional white label like every other Rosé wine brand. And once I received the first box of it, I looked at it automatically and said, this is by no means going to break through the clutter of everything else that's on the shelf. And it looks like a copy, a Me Too brand of what was already existing. So. I went back to the drawing board. Uh, funny story is I went on LinkedIn and I said, let me find the company that designs all of my former boss's labels. So I just went through LinkedIn, was looking at everybody there. And I happened to find an African-American uh, person that worked there at the company that actually did design. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to him offline and I said, hey, listen, I have this great product. This is what we want to do. This is what it's all about. Uh, and he agreed to do a freelance project for us. And that's how we came up with the label. But he was very intent on pulling off the things that he knew was attractive to 
the urban consumer. And when I say urban, I don't mean like black. I mean the persons living in New York, LA, London, et cetera, and what they liked. And that was all about um, masculinity. If you look at the best luxury brands in the world, they're all still very masculine, whether they be female oriented or not. Mm -hmm. So that was with the uh, gray, that bold gray label to stand out and say, everybody else is using white paper or cream paper. We're coming with this bold, dark gray label. And then the pop of the lettering with the embossed rose gold um, was a bit of modernity. And then our nod to Central Pay was the uh, clock tower that you see on the label. So we were trying to infuse heritage with uh, cutting edge design and luxury all into one. And we think we did a pretty good job capturing that uh, to make it modern and appealing to everyone. Absolutely. I love hearing the story about that, how that came to, um, how that came to be. Um, it wasn't just like, all right, let's throw a label on it. Let's sell it. Yeah, no, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I wasted a lot of money on the first run and when I decided I didn't like it. But that is a part of business though, right? Yes, you have to try absolutely. some things, like they say, hurry up and fail. So then yeah. you can try again and get it right. Because so everything know. looks good on paper or looks different on paper. You don't really see what works and doesn't work until you actually have the live product in hand. Mm -hmm. And our focus groups, they all came back with the same feedback, like the juice is great, mm, the label not so much. So we knew we had to do something and change it uh, ASAP. Okay, so you did have the wine created first before you did the bottle and the label. The new label. So we had a test mock-up label, which is basically just a white label with Lafette de Rosé on it mm -hmm. that we were using to test the product out because it's very important to do like a small focus group to say, one, is this a viable business option or are we just living in la-la land? Am I dreaming that people want a rosé that speaks to everyone? So we launched it with a couple of accounts in Miami to test it out. One, is the juice good? What was the customer feedback? Uh, how did it look in the shelf? How did it match up against the competitive set that was already out there? So that was a small run of about a thousand cases. And then once we got positive feedback and realized that we needed to change the label, et cetera, we went back to the drawing board very quickly and the official launch of the brand was May in 2019. So just a little over a year. How has it been this year for you, 2020, with all of its uh, challenges? <laughs> you, you know, I, I, as of now, and I would say it's been a fantastic year and I hate saying that given everything that's going on in the world and people are dying in COVID. But I will tell you on March 13th, when the world shut down, I thought the business was over. I thought that the game was over for us because we were so focused on distribution and fine dining and hotels and resorts. And immediately all of that went away. So we had to find a way. Well, after I cried for three days. Okay. <laughs> I, we all, uh, had, we all had a couple of days. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, we knew we had to pivot. And that pivot um, came faster than I had thought it would by chance because uh, Derek D. Nice Jones uh, was doing his infamous Instagram set with 100,000 people watching and he held up a bottle uh, of Lafette Rosé. At that moment, it was about 30 to 40,000 people watching, but he held up a bottle of Lafette Rosé and immediately the traffic to our website and Instagram took off. Um, so that was the genesis of our direct consumer business. And from there has just done phenomenal for us. Uh, we've exceeded the goals that we had set for direct consumer. And because of that, we're now getting distribution in tons of hotels and retails across the United States. They always say it just takes one thing. You never That's know it. what that one thing will be. But your one thing was D9's being like, oh, I'm drinking La Fête du Rosé. Boom. Yeah, and, and then the snowball from that just happened. So then we had the chance to appear on Carmelo Anthony's What's in Your Glass show. 
two weeks later, Michael Strahan was on the show. He actually had a bottle of Lafette Rosé and then the Support Black Business Movement and Blackout Tuesday happened. And it just literally was a tidal wave um, that we've been riding ever since. And you were in the right position then. You already had everything together. Absolutely. Yeah. It just happened a lot faster than we, we uh, had anticipated. But luckily, we were already in the planning stages of how do we do e-commerce? How do we pick up more distributors in more states? So it just, once the, you know it took off, we were like, all right, let's go. Cut the light switch on. Now, we're mentioning distribution. Um, are you just available in the U.S. right now? So starting next year, we will be in Europe, in the U.K., uh, in France, uh, probably Greece. We've had some inquiries for Greece and then definitely the Caribbean um, and then some parts of Mexico. Your uh, DTC, direct-to-consumer business. And so with that, they can just go directly on your website and then get the wine sent to them. Yeah, so you can buy directly on our website. We sell in a package of three, six, or 12, and it usually takes, depending on where you are in the United States, uh, two to three days ground delivery for the Midwest and the East and into the West Coast, probably about three to five days. I know you can't be here in Paris right now, but how about a virtual French wine tasting? Take a one-hour tour de France with Girl Meets Glass and hear about current life in Paris as we talk about the famed wine regions of France and taste a few wines together. For purchase, visit the website www.girlmeetsglass.com and select Work with Girl Meets Glass. Now, let me actually talk about the juice in the bottle mm -hmm. itself. Yep. It's La Fête de Rosé is made in Provence. Mm -hmm. And typically in Rosé, you have like a Grenache, Mauvais, Jusonso, Carignan. What is the blend of your Rosé? Yeah, we're a typical GSM, Grenache, Syrah, Mauvais. Um, but what we did, we didn't want that 90 to 100% Grenache taste that you get so often with some of those other Rosés, which can be super light and pink, a little bit more acidic. Uh, less fruit because the grapes aren't as ripe. So our grapes are more ripe, uh, same GSM, but we let them um, stay on the vines a little longer. And then our maceration period is a little different as well. We The average is about three months for most rosés. We're pushing close to five to six months. So that's where the color comes from, a lot more skin contact and, and the time that they've had to ferment in the steel tanks together as well is what really makes our blend unique. Um, we also all have 12.5% alcohol ABV per volume. Other rosés are pushing 13, some even 14%. And for me, I just didn't want to just get all that alcohol uh, when drinking my wine. So I wanted something that was a lot more mellow. So although it has a lower ABV, I, I hear this often that, oh my God, it's so strong because they're drunk or, or they get a buzz. <laughs> and, and, and it's not the case. The case is because it is so easy to drink, people tend to drink it a lot faster which, you know, they'll go through a whole bottle and they're like, oh my God, I'm drunk. Well, you drank a whole bottle. It's not right. because of the alcohol. Content. Right, they're like high alcohol. <laughs> We're like, uh, if you drink the whole of anything. You exactly. <laughs> That's kind of the rule. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're a typical GSM, but you know, there were some tweaks that we wanted to have uh, with this particular wine. It is a medium body wine. Um, it's not a full body, but you definitely, it's what I call like the perfect, perfect rosé because you still get that fruit flavor uh, from the grapes, has a long structure, has a great finish, uh, but it's not super acidic. But we feel like we captured the perfect blend to be able to drink a lot of it uh, all day long. And, and it pairs well with food as well. 
did you already come into it thinking you wanted to do a GSM blend um, and tell them to kind of work with that? Or did you just say, okay, give me some samples of some things and let me taste what I want my rosé to be like? We actually did it in the reverse. They actually said to me, uh, go out and drink what's currently on the market and come back and tell us what you don't and do like about each one. Um, so I did that. We sampled every major brand that was out and a couple more esoteric ones. I sent that list over to them with notes on each one. Um, then they said, hey, come to the winery. We're ready to present to you what we have. Um, so they laid out a probably, it was a lot of wines. I don't know, we drank all day. Um, and then by the end of the day, we had narrowed it down to two. Uh, went to dinner, came back, and then we selected what we have here in the bottle. But it was very specific on notes of you know, each each brand that was already out that we didn't like, didn't like what we wanted, et cetera. And then they helped guide us through the process uh, at the winery as well to say, all right, this is this, this is a little bit more of this, this is what we did here to tweak this, et cetera, et cetera. Sampling rosé, it's hard work, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely got palate fatigue at some point. I was like, all right, I got to take a break. I got to go. We have to go eat something and come back. Right. And it's so funny that you say that because in theory, people are like, oh, that's like an amazing job and that sounds so fun. And you think like, uh, no, you clearly yeah. haven't done it before. <laughs> exactly. It will wear you out. And I don't know how to spit. That was the other problem. So it was, it got a little goosey at the end. Have you worked on that since then? Like that is a key skill. Uh, I, I'm better at it, but I, I tend to go back. Like the second drink is always the one that I drink. So I'll do the initial spit after, oh yeah, that was good. But then when it gets towards the end of the tasting and we're done, I tend to drink it all, so. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard because it's good. You're like, well, exactly. Well, let me go back to this one. I need to think about this one again. Yeah. Right. Like you had me some, you know, a a fine vintage Bordeaux. Um, I'm probably going to drink that. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. No worries. So, um, the name La Fête de Rosé. Yes. Uh, which translates loosely to the Rosé Party. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got the name from Le Fête du Champagne, which happens in London, New York every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an event that the brands I used to work on used to participate in. Um, always wanted to go, never had the opportunity, but was very intrigued by the whole idea of this very exclusive champagne event with the top chefs in the world and doing pairings. So that's where Le Fête du Rosé came from. Once I launched the brand and started to you know, get it in front of people, especially in South Florida, they told me that Fête was this word that had this strong meaning for people from the Caribbean because everything's a fet for them. Yes. So it took on this dual meaning. So I was like, oh, this is amazing. So it actually became even more part of the brand than I initially anticipated because it really is the rosé party. And we've taken that and said, you can have a fet for two, which is just you and your significant other or a fet by yourself at home. And we play on that word fet because it's important to say, you can enjoy this wine whenever, however, whoever, uh, but it should always be a part. Well, I am here for that. Final questions for you. I have two. They're kind of the same. Okay. Um, what is one thing that you wish people knew or believed about rosé? Uh, the biggest thing I think I, I want people to know is that rosé is a varietal and they're still and they're sparkling because one of the biggest hurdles I have, uh, particularly sometimes with our community, is when you say rosé, they automatically think it's a sparkling or champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, which then leads to a little bit of uh, letdown when they buy a bottle and they think it's a champagne, they get it home and it's not. So I, I want people to understand that rosé is a varietal and not necessarily one thing. So you can have rosé still, you can have rosé sparkling, rosé from France, 
rosé from California. There's so many different styles of a rosé. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing I really would like to drive home. Last question for you. What is one final thought you want to leave the people about La Fête du Rosé? Uh, La Fête is a party and everyone's invited. It's our tagline and that's what I truly believe. We are here to open the category up to everyone, to bring everybody into this fantastic bottle of wine. Uh, we believe that's the way the world should be. And we hope that this brand is a part of the catalyst to really just bring everybody together. I love it. Well, thank you so much for um, speaking with me today. I truly appreciate it. Um, thank you for having me. Not a problem. So everyone go out and buy yourself a bottle or three or six or 12. <laughs> thank you so much. I can't wait to meet you in France. We're going to go drink down south in the south of France this summer, we I promise. Are. Thank you for listening to Wine School Dropout. You can find more info on Donne Burston and his wine on his website, www.lafetterose.com. On Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well, at Lafette Rose. His personal Instagram is at Thurston Burston III. His nod to Gilligan's Island. This podcast was produced by Studio Ochenta, hosted by me, Tanisha Townsend. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Our sound editor is Luis Raul Lopez Levi. Our theme was done by Gabriel Dalmaso. Music is by Makai Beats. Our art is by Tiffany DeLune. Follow us at Wine School Dropout on Instagram and check out ochintastudio.com for full transcripts of this and every episode of the show. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.